Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you look at your Bibles, open up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How many of you are going through anything in life, have gone through anything in life, or know that you're going to go through something in life that you would just prefer not go through? Just how much, when we think about just how much the temporal creates issues for us. Now by the temporal, I mean temporary things, things that are not permanent. We know that the Bible gives us a lot of reference about even where we invest our future. You can invest it in earthly things that moth and rust break down and that thieves break in and steal, or you can invest in kingdom things where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal we are giving clearly in scripture two very clear pictures of what is eternal and what is temporal and what drives us the most nuts is the temporal it's not the eternal as a matter of fact i would say the things that probably keep us the most sane are the eternal things in other words where would you be without the hope that Jesus Christ provides us through his gospel, through the promises that he's presented, even in eternal life, which we're going to get into in just a little bit, because life, of course, has everything in the world to do with uh, differences between the temporal and and the eternal. Now, he uses metaphors in this when we start reading it a little bit. He talks about tents, and he talks about buildings, and we're going to pay close attention to why he used those two terms specifically, and how when we as individuals understand where we're at but we also understand what we've been promised um if you're working towards the weekend how does that affect your perspective of your week what's monday look like oh you can't get any farther from the weekend than that day right anybody here love mondays tuesdays They may be a little better, although it is a little better, right? Wednesday, what do we call it? Hump day! That's the day where we get to start going over the hill and back down the hill towards the weekend, amen? We are individuals who've built our entire existence on the temporal. How many of you guys have a mortgage? Had a mortgage in your life, paid a house off? have a car one day you're going to die and somebody else is going to live in your house and somebody else is going to drive your car and let's just talk about family just how long do you think people are going to remember you how long it'll be hard the first holiday right and the more I think about it the more I think in my own life as examples, at what point did people stop being thought about? I miss my dad. My grandpa, not as much. My great-grandpa, I don't miss him at all. 
I can't even tell you much about him. I can tell you where he's from, some of the culture that he would have been involved, but I couldn't tell you much about him. How long does it take for people to forget you? Not only are you temporal, but the things you do are temporal too. At least here. They can have kingdom benefits, but they're temporal. My dad used to joke when he was diagnosed with cancer. He said he wanted to take all of his most precious possessions and put them in the attic above his hospital bed because when he left, he wanted to grab them on the way up. He knew it was a joke because he knew it don't work that way. The truth is, everything that harms us is temporal. Suicide, what do you always say? A permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right? Because you live in a world that's fallen and it has selfishness in it. And it's going to have its intended effect on everybody. And the people who are Christians are going to learn how to combat that a little bit more than the other people are. But if we're not cautious, being aware of what exactly is going on around us, we can get caught in the whirlpool. And we begin to be drug out of the center of the circle of the relationship that we're in with Christ. And we start to lean on our own logic and our own understanding. We will even get to the point where we will justify separating ourselves from God. You say, well, how do you justify separating yourself from God? You ever wake up in the morning and say you deserve a day off from church? You only got two days in the weekend, right? This concept that even church is temporal shouldn't be, but it is. What do you think is going to happen to the church when Jesus comes back and gets everybody? It's not going to be here anymore. Granted, there will be some churches that if the rapture happens at 11.30 in the morning, there will be some churches that will not miss a lick. They'll continue to worship when every Christian on this planet janked out. It's a fact. Because just because a church calls itself a church doesn't make it a church. What do we care about? You see churches now, and I will criticize those churches from this pulpit, putting $20,000 windows in their buildings, crystal cathedrals, 75, 80-foot vaulted ceilings, painted glass, gold structures in their foyers, the bang, right? What happens to all of it? Church I grew up in, they love CDs. They love to, they get extra money, they put it in a CD. You know what the problem with a CD? They're typically locked down for about 10 years. You can't touch them. And it used to drive me nuts as a young youth leader. Because question, if that $20,000 sits in the bank for 20 years, what good is it doing to the kingdom? It has temporal good to it, right? It's making interest. In CDs, that's one of the best ways to get interest, right? Interest, temporal or eternal? Temporal. 
You know what happens to the banks when Jesus comes back? They shut down. And all the things that we see in in the value in life, the things that we fretted over, the things that we fought over, the things that we allowed to attack our families, to attack our own individual lives, are the things that in the end don't even matter. They don't matter. Did you notice how we, as human beings, will self-destruct over things that are temporary and spend very little time on the things that are eternal? Because I'll tell you something, and I'll admit this. I'm with you. I'm with you. The eternal is way better than the temporal. He talks about that in his passage of Scripture. The eternal... Here's the way he describes it. Take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now I want you to notice he used two pictures here. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building that is from God. The earthly tent, and this is being spoken of for this particular reason, most of the people at this time were either nomads or they knew or very well of who nomads were. So when he used the idea of what a tent was, they would have very much been aware because nomads were tent dwellers. And what did Paul do for a living? He was a tent maker, right? When he did something, he built tents. That was what he did for a living. So he was also very familiar with tents. Now we also know that there was also a contrast between the way pre-Solomon the temple moved around and post-Solomon the way the temple did not move around. When it was a tabernacle, it was a tent. And it moved with the Israelites and they set it up. Now, what's the problem with something that you take down, put up constantly, and drag across the desert? It wears out. It's affected by the elements. It has no security because there's no way to securely tether it to the ground. There's no protection. It's made out of cloth. He's painting a picture of what our human bodies are like in the temporal For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. Now, what's the difference between a house and a tent? One of them's a permanent structure, right? David begged God, let me build your temple. God go, nope, not for you to do. Solomon comes along, and God goes, Solomon, you're going to build my temple. The day that Solomon built that temple, the tabernacle was done. It then became a permanent structure. A permanent structure that could be defended. A place that housed God. A place where the truth was isolated. This eternal building that he's speaking of here is what we as believers have to look forward to. Because I say again, I'm with you. 
somebody who's been in the ministry for over 30 years who have watched what sin have done to people, to have watched what it has done to families, to see how it presses down on people on a daily basis and be involved in it, to be up to your eyebrows in it for 30 years. Do you know how much devilish, sinful garbage that equates to? I'm going to say it again. You probably knew I would. Rich Mullins. When I leave, I want to go out like Elijah with a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. And when I look back on the stars, it'll be like a candlelight in Central Park. And it will not break my heart to say goodbye. Our attitudes are supposed to match that of the Apostle Paul. If we invest in the house that we have here, then that is what we are going to protect. If we invest in the house that we have there, that is what we will defend and protect. Because we will always choose to put our greatest force behind that that we value the most. That's just the raw truth. Take a look at verse 2. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Gnostics back then, and the church at that time was full of them, was being bombarded by them. One of their chiefest teachings, uh, chiefest teachings of the Gnostics was that all matter is evil. Only the spiritual can be good. With Jesus' life, this creates complication. As long as Jesus was spirit, he was safe under the ideal of Gnosticism. But when Jesus, born of a virgin, became flesh, then what did Gnosticism say Jesus was? Not good. Evil. Well, if Jesus is evil, where's the hope of salvation? Because if he was a sinner, he was not a qualified sacrifice. So the Gnostics run around talking about this difference between the spirit and the flesh. In other words, have you heard people talk about your spirit's going to go spend an eternity in heaven? I got news for you. You're going to have a body. You're going to have a body. In other words, not being found naked. This isn't some disembodied spiritual existence in heaven. This is not what the Gnostics would teach you. The Gnostics would say the flesh on you is evil. Now, if there's any part of your spirit that comes out, separates itself from the flesh, then that part's not evil. It's allowed to go. Paul's going, no, this is not some disembodied spiritual experience that you're going to go through. You're going to heaven. You will have the same body that Jesus has. Well, let's talk about what kind of body Jesus has. He walked through a closed door, and Didymus could still feel the hole in his hands and his side. That's what Jesus' resurrected body looked like. We don't know what we will be like. But we do know that we will be like him. Walking through doors. But still being able to feel. You will have a body. You will be you. You will just be you perfectly. 
Anybody here have flaws? No, you don't. It's a trick question. No, you don't. Otherwise, God creates flaws. God don't make mistakes. You are you are who you are, and he made you who you are. Now, within a certain amount of reason, you get to choose within those parameters who you're really going to be. But God created us to be eternal beings, not temporal ones. <coughs> not to invest in what's going to collapse on us in the short term, but to invest in what will never collapse in the long term. I personally think it's a calm before the storm. I haven't even heard anything since I last heard something about the electronic currency. Still believe it's coming. Talked to a guy the other day. I was like, it's the mark of the beast. I can't say that is the mark of the beast, but I can say the electronic currency makes that more possible. Amen? Why aren't churches talking about it? Why aren't we talking about it? This is literally eternity taking over. And how does the church feel about it? Be honest. You scared? Should you be? Because this is eternity. This is what we trusted in Jesus for. This is the finish line. This is what I have worked for and said yes for over 30 years of my life for, no matter what the outcome was for me. And Paul shows us some of this. Verse 3, And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. He who prepared us for this very purpose. God's instruction assists us in every avenue of life. But why do you really think that he gives us the gifts that he gives us? What's his ultimate purpose in giving people the gifts that he gives them? To make them happy temporarily? Because you go flip Joel Osteen on, he can accomplish that for you. Yeah, I'll stand up here and badmouth that guy. I consider him an enemy. Because he doesn't preach the whole truth. He tells people, if you want it bad enough, it'll happen for you. If you have the faith, you'll be rich. And I am not teasing one bit, folks. You won't hear the man talk about sin. And what is it that separates us from eternity? The one thing that separates us from eternity and a preacher claims to be a preacher and he never does talk about it. I know some Southern Baptist churches where I had some buddies who were pastors who got fired because they used the word repent. From the, from the pulpit. These are words used to exercise eternity. 
it cannot be explained without it. It has to be not only a part of his plan and purpose, but it has to be the entirety of the reason that we exist. The entirety of the reason we exist. If you was to take everything in your life that you invest time in and categorize it, where would Jesus fall? Not in your mind. I'm talking about the amount of time that you invest in life. And you categorized it. How far down the list would Jesus be? I believe for almost all of us, he wouldn't be at the top of the list. You think it's bad that we're living through the difficulties we're living through now? Imagine being unprepared. Imagine not having the information that actually makes death look better than life. Yes, I said it. I'll say it again. Because the world will look at you and say, that is insane. That's insane. Paul says it himself. Let's read a little farther. I'm going to get to that point anyway. Let's read six. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. What's Paul saying? There is a better. Prefer rather to be absent from the body, to be at home with the Lord. Does that make sense? Now, he didn't just close that off because that's his desire, just like it is mine. But we have something else that's pulling on our heart, though. The Apostle Paul speaks of it, too. We also have the betterment of the church that comes into the balance. Is it better for the church for me to stay or go? Well, it's certainly better for me to go. Amen? But is it better for you for me to stay or go? I'm not going to answer that question. Jesus is the one that will answer that question. Because I believe that in every one of our lives, he expects every one of us to be an eternal presence in everyone else's life. Meaning, as long as I'm here, I want to make sure that you're ready. That you're ready to face it yourself. That you're ready to even potentially understand it as you're going through it. It's like downstairs in class. This habit that we get in when forming relationships with one another in churches can become very complicated in that individuals typically share conditional love between one another. And the question came up. If we are told by Jesus to forgive people the way that he forgave us, it matters to someone who's a believer. 
you're really bound to do that. I mean, the Bible even says that if you don't forgive here on earth, that he will not forgive your sins in heaven. It's pretty serious about the whole forgiveness thing. Amen? But what's it to a non-believer? Did you ever notice that a non-believer never has a silver lining? They get temporary relief, but they really don't have a silver lining. In other words, life can get bad enough for a non-believer that they can't see the lining. But since a believer, our silver lining, it's out of our control and it's out of everybody on this planet's control. Our silver lining was placed there by Jesus. So no matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark it gets, guess what you're always able to see? The silver lining. There's always something to reach for. There's always something to pull you back. And we're all individuals who are on those leashes that extend. We are, we, all of us are. Whether we do it from church or we do it within our relationship, all of us are individuals that at times in our life, we try to stretch our leash out as far as we can possibly stretch it out. And God's just as gracious, gracious and merciful, knowing that one day, We'll walk back towards him, maybe crawl back towards him. Shortening the length on that leash again. Because that's who we are by nature. But also know that those seemingly never-ending crawls back to him, those get to come to an end. God gets to fix it once and for all. And I'll tell you now, there is so much propaganda in the world right now. There are portals appearing all over the place. Alien spacecraft. Are there any such thing as aliens? I wonder if somebody somewhere else is asking the same question. I don't know why we think we're so unique as to be the only planet anywhere in all creation to have life on it that is bipedal and walks upright. What makes us so special? God could do this as many times as he wanted to. He could have a million of these universes out there. He's a God who can do anything he wants to. He can make any promise he wants to. He can take any route that he wants to. And people all the time say, well, God's sovereign, so he's just in control of it all. But yeah, aren't you, just, aren't you glad that he's not a God that just runs around yielding his authority and cutting people's heads off who disagree? Aren't you glad that he at least has the mercy to allow us to fall flat on our faces enough time to we're willing to roll over and look up? Because all of us have been there. In this relationship, be of good courage. We should be of good courage. because we prefer to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We walk by faith. I'm going to close with this. Walking by faith means believing the truth regardless 
of what you see. The Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. It's one of the biggest obvious requirements for faith to believe that God the Father conceived with Mary a human and brought about the birth of the God-man. Does it require faith? Every bit of reason and logic in your brain says you can't believe that. Faith says you can believe that. A man died on a cross. Death by asphyxiation. Was put in a grave for three and a half days. Rose again. Believable? Not without faith. Have you ever thought about the bad things that's happened in our lives and the potential that God may have been involved in it still yet. I've had migraines since I was 16 years old. A lot of time to kind of process why a God who says he loves me would allow me to suffer most of my life with migraine headaches. Most allow me to. You ever notice how we look negatively that things that seem to negatively impact us? Did you ever notice that? And I ask this question again, is my God big enough to take away my migraines? He is. He's big enough to fix whatever problem that, that I may have that, that created the migraines, right? So he has a purpose in them. I have to believe that. Why? Because what's the alternative? He doesn't care. faith says even if I don't know what he's doing I've got to trust that he does and since I know that he's powerful enough to relieve me of any of my health difficulties but he doesn't then me having them glorifies him should that make it okay to me All of a sudden, I don't suffer from migraines, but guess what migraines just became because the viewpoint just went from temporal to eternal. Not only is it not a problem, it's an opportunity. And many times over those 30 years, the Lord has used those. People who stayed home from church and they would call me the next day and say, I just want you to know I feel terrible. I heard you had a migraine headache and I stayed home and I'm a big baby. And I, you went and preached with a migraine headache. And I sit there and I go, Lord, you're, you are using it. <laughs> you're using it, making people uncomfortable. But there's many, many more ways he could be using it I don't know. So why should I dig a hole, throw a pity party over me having a health problem that gives me headaches when I know my God's big enough to cure them? Why am I not okay with having those headaches if God says, I'm letting you have those headaches because I'm going to expand my kingdom with them? What's wrong with that? Do I serve him or does he serve me? Did I create him or did he create me? Do I get to pick what I want to be? Or if we truly are who we claim that we are, 
do we allow him to pick who we are? He gives us our gift. He knows our path. He knows our future. He knows our interaction with people. He knows where what you've learned today, how that's going to impact you and the people you come across this week. He knows all this. And it's not random. It's intentional. So as you live in this world and we continue to be driven insane by bills, amen? Driven insane by the power company, the phone company, these individuals who do everything they can to mash on your back to squeeze every penny they can out of you. You got to deal with them. You got to deal with mean people in Walmart at Christmas time. You got to deal with things. You got to deal with attitudes. You got to deal with people. Everybody that we deal with is dealing with things from a temporal point of view. And rather than being frustrated and act like we're scatterbrained because of this, why don't we realize that we can actually be the element that brings the eternal into the lives of individuals? Because this is what it's all about. This is about us not only bringing Jesus to people, but them actually learning who Jesus is so that the life that they live begins to grow from the perspective of eternity and not the temporal you know what my number one excuse is for being as good as I can? I mean, the Bible puts it this way, that we just want to be pleasing to him, right? I believe God's really real, that he's not just somebody who's in a book on a page. And if I'm bad to you, judgment seat of Christ is coming. And I love the perspective. John MacArthur or several people who say, there's going to be no judgment in the judgment seat of Christ. I'm like, well, first of all, why is the word judgment in the judgment seat of Christ? I don't think you can remove judgment from it completely. And here's why. It's understandable that there is the great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgment is the judgment that the Father will sit over, that he will judge whether an individual has trusted in Jesus or not. That is one that will decide whether people go to heaven or hell. Then there is another, which is the judgment seat of Christ. It's an entirely different judgment because believers will not sit under the great white throne judgment. Believers will sit under the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ actually judges the works of individuals in their lifetime. Many people say that that is when you will be handed your crowns. That's when you will be given. But here's my question. Tell me this isn't judgment. Rosie, she's in line in front of me. She goes through and Jesus hands her 20 crowns. Oh, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look at what you've accomplished in your lifetime. Then some other dude who just trusted in Jesus at the age of 15 and never went to church another day in his life comes walking up and Jesus goes, here's your crown. One. Is that not judgment? I want, the, I want St. Peter to go, whoop, back the dump truck in and dump him out. Why? Because that's where the true value is. Each crown represents the times in your life that you trusted Jesus enough 
to put him out there so that he had the eternal effect on the people that you're around. Because I also believe that not only will he give us crowns, but you know what we'll do with those crowns? All but one? We'll give them back. Not because he asked for them back, but just out of honor and glory for who he is. Understanding clearly that if it wasn't for him, not one of us would be able to do anything good. So whose crowns are they? Jesus will glorify us. We will glorify him. The question is, will you glorify him in eternity? Is that when you'll start? Or will you glorify him starting today? Because there are a bunch of people that are walking around this planet in that tent. And they don't know about that spiritual house, the building, the permanent place, more secure. Jesus Christ provided for every one of us eternal life. But interestingly enough, he also said that he came not just to bring life. And he means he didn't come just to bring eternal life but he come to bring it at its most abundant. Life at its fullest. If he says that he come not just to bring life, but to bring life at its fullest, when should you be enjoying all the benefits of eternity? After you die? Or now? It's entirely up to you. And your faith will decide I can tell you. You go on just a little bit further. The Apostle Paul said, if we're of, uh, the word in the Greek is actually insane. If we're insane, it's for God. And if we're of sound mind, it's for you. We walk a line of sanity and insanity every day of our lives. The darkness, it tips your elbow every, every step that you take. And it gets hard. Jesus came to lighten the load. He doesn't want us to stop caring here on earth. We continue to be fruitful members of the church. But we have to train ourselves to remember that there is nothing about this relationship that's temporal. And that the promises that Jesus made are of way more value than any circumstance that makes you doubt him in life because he made promises and unless you believe God's a liar he's gonna he's gonna fulfill them if you're here today you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior it's simple it's not something you need to jump through hoops for it's just a matter of a position of the heart Jesus Christ came to earth lived the perfect life died on the cross for our sins he took our place when it came to the penalty he went to the grave while he was in the grave, he went to Hades, he shook the sin off, he rose. Three days later, he beat death as a symbol that we will also beat it. It's a simple. You just have to believe it. If you trust in him, come up here and tell me that you want to trust in him. I can't save you, but I'll take the time necessary to make sure you clearly understand the one who can. If you're here today and you're a believer, 
you know what it looks like to walk in this temporal world. And you know the shortcomings, the difficulties, every challenge and struggle that comes along with that. Jesus has given us the ability to not only defend against all of those intrusions, but he also gives us the ability to stay sane by staying focused on the things that we know are true. Those things that we look forward to. So just walk out of this place. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. But at the very least, have a conversation with Jesus before you leave this place. Make sure that any of those dark parts of your heart or your mind, that all of these fallen natures in the world have created, make sure the light gets turned on in them. That's who Jesus is. I promise you, all you got to do is put him in the right place and the light comes on. Whatever the Holy Spirit may tell you, just be obedient. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sends His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.